0: Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, and you know the routine, right? The only show that shows, reveals, discloses, and demonstrates how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, everybody, and above all, thanks for being happy warriors. Happy? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Make sure you've got a smile on your face and a spring in your step because there really is so much to be grateful for, isn't there? And if you're not feeling happy, then you have to make yourself happy. How do you do that? Well, you take a piece of paper or a three by five index card and you write down, you force yourself to write down five things that you're grateful for. And you know what? I don't care who you are and I don't care what sort of life you have but if you're a happy warrior you've got five reasons to be grateful and as soon as you've written down five things to be grateful for you will feel happy. It changes your day entirely and so uh, there are plenty of people who'll tell you to get up in the morning and to exercise or go for a run or to, or to do your cardio workout But there's one other thing you should do as well, and that is the gratitude exercise to make sure that you are not just a warrior, but a happy warrior. That's right. And warrior, sure, absolutely, because we embrace the challenge. So uh, it is my privilege to be sharing time with happy warriors, and uh, it is my solemn, dedicated duty to reveal how the world really works. And so we have to speak about things from time to time that are not intuitive and uh, things that might make you say, oh, I'm not interested in that. Uh, you know, I like it when he talks about this, that, or the other. About You know, I, 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 I don't want to hear about this. All I can say is that uh, for happy warriors, it is important to hear every aspect of how the world works, including areas that you're not interested in. Usually, the things we're not interested in are very often the things we don't understand, the things we're not good at, and so one way of becoming interested in much, much more is to become knowledgeable about much more and understanding of much, much more and even competent and effective at much, much more. And uh, that makes us more interesting people and it makes us enthusiastic uh, about every aspect of life. Now, um, the uh, th- there's no question that some of the things I'm going to be talking about in the next few minutes would be more interesting easily absorbed if I showed you pictures of it or if uh, I made this uh, podcast in video form and did the demonstrations in front of your astonished eyes. However, there is a reason I want to keep this podcast in audio form only, and that is that uh, your cognitive ability, your ability to process information Uh, to deal with things intelligently, your ability to understand and the speed with which you process information are all enhanced by the process of reading. They are not in any way helped by the process of looking at pictures. And so, yes, I understand that YouTube is seductive and almost addictive, um, obviously because we are drawn by our eyes right? That's one of the things that that we are easily seduced by. After all, if you know a man, this is usually a man, if you know a man who's got involved with an unsuitable woman, maybe even married her, um, would you tell me whether his eyes or his ears were more responsible for him making the mistake and picking a bad woman, right? Eyes or ears. Men are drawn after their eyes. And that's true for everybody, women to a lesser extent, but uh, to the extent that eyes are very much linked to emotions. Ears are linked to the intellect. And so there's a very good reason why the Bible in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 39, says, do not be led astray, do not go astray After your hearts and after your eyes, because in ancient Jewish wisdom, uh, the heart always means the emotions, right? It's not when the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. It's a reference to the idea of emotions. So chapter 15, verse 39 in the book of Numbers. By the way, if you're using a Rabbi Daniel Lappin recommended Bible, which by now you ought to be, uh, page 461 and around about the middle of the page, in the Hebrew it says, You shall not go astray after your hearts and after your eyes. It doesn't say after your elbows or, or don't go astray after your ears. No. no, because we very seldom go astray after our ears because our ears are not linked to emotions. Our ears are linked to intellect. And intellect from intellect to action is a slower process than from emotions to action. And so uh, uh, eyes, yeah, definitely problematic. So pictures, less useful, less helpful, and in fact, damaging in a certain sense. Uh, reading, really, really effective. And, and this will become uh, relevant, just a little bit further in the show. Very important to understand that as well. But I should also put in that hearing words is almost—I uh, would say—it's 95% as effective as reading. Uh, so, so listening to words really, really valuable and and very worthwhile. And that's why I'm not going to um, do this in video form. I really want you to benefit maximally by this, by listening, by using your ears and not your eyes. And in general, uh, please try and increase your reading. Try and make sure you you read for a good few hours a week, um, ideally every day. Um, you know, before you go to bed at night, no, don't watch a movie. Read something, read a book. And, uh, What I would urge you to do, because it's going to be very difficult if you're accustomed already to sort of lulling yourself to sleep, watching television or watching a movie or whatever it is, uh, it'll be very difficult to do what I'm suggesting. But that is to um, make reading a book the last thing you do rather than watching a movie. And um, it will be hard. But but here's what I'd recommend. Uh, Say to yourself, I only have to do it for a month right for 30 days and put it on the calendar and count down. well one of the things you can discover is that literally every single night it'll be easier than it was the night before to pick up a book instead of picking up your ipad or your laptop or whatever else you you watch your videos on before you go to sleep and um, the uh, and the nice thing is that by the time 30 days go by you will actually feel the difference Yes, you, were, you really will feel uh, a, a better person, a stronger person. So, at that point, you'll probably want to continue doing that. Okay, so on with the, the topic, but um, the topic is, let me encapsulate it, vibration is life. Vibration, movement, up and down, in and out, um, high, low, vibration is life. What does the term flatline mean? You know, when a doctor is at the uh, the bedside of a, a very, very ill patient and the doctor or the nurse says, you know, she's flatlined, I'm afraid that means death, means there's no more vibration. And if the patient is healthy and doing well, and you look at the green screen, the oscilloscope above the patient's bed, uh, you'll see the sine wave. You'll see the thing going up and down. Up. It's, a, it's showing a vibration. And a vibration, yes, there's lots of life-affirming uh, vibrations going on in our bodies. Our hearts are beating, pumping in. So, you know, it's it's a vibration that's going on. You don't believe me? Put your hand on your chest, you'll feel it. Uh, our breathing is a vibration, right? It's a slower vibration than a heartbeat, but it is a vibration nonetheless. Um, even if you think about it, and let me say this discreetly so as that uh, uh, listeners of, of younger ages, uh, well, that nobody will be disconcerted, but let me put this this way. Uh, the very conception of life involves a vibration, okay, Um all sound is vibration. I have um, chords in my voice box, in my throat, and as air passes over them, uh, they vibrate, and I learn to manipulate those vibrations and a child does that right in in the the early months of life a child learns to be able to make different kinds of sounds and eventually it becomes words Uh, and so my voice uh, is really the result of these vibrating chords and they vibrate they cause the air molecules in my mouth to vibrate And if I project my voice out by opening my mouth wide while I'm speaking, that projects out by causing the air molecules near my mouth to vibrate, and they vibrate the ones next to them. And provided your ears aren't too far away, vibrating molecules strike other molecules and vibrate them, and that Process by the way, through air travels at roughly 700 miles an hour, which sounds you know very quick, but not compared to a fighter jet that might be traveling at 1600 miles an hour. But about 700 miles an hour, uh, light travels much quicker than that, which is why, when if you're watching an athletic event and they use a starting pistol to set the runners off, and you're sitting at the far end of the stadium, you will see a puff of smoke coming from the starting pistol and then perceptible time later you know it takes a little while it might be a second or so maybe maybe a bit more uh the sound of the starter's pistol will reach your ears by that time the runners are already off because being much closer to the starting pistol than you were they heard it much quicker than you did and so uh Uh, What happens is these vibrating air molecules knock the ones next to them, which knock the ones next to them. Finally, the air molecules right next to your eardrum uh, are set vibrating, and they push against your eardrum, and uh, your eardrum starts vibrating, which excites the oral nerve, which sends a message to the brain, which the brain is then able to decode and interpret into words, Uh, a loudspeaker, right, if you have a a hi-fi set, you you like listening to music, and um, you have a loudspeaker or an earphone, these are really nothing but little or big devices that set the air molecules vibrating, and uh, they vibrate their way until uh, each one knocks the next one until it reaches your ear. That is how sound travels. Um, And so, all sound is vibration. Now, if there was no air between me and you, I could be speaking away. You'd, you'd see my mouth moving, but you wouldn't hear anything because the sound is conveyed from my mouth to your ear by vibrating air molecules. And if there was no air, well, you wouldn't hear anything. Now, um, enjoy what I'm about to describe and again, I'll, I'll paint it to you as a word picture, and this will really be much more useful for your cognitive understanding and development than were I to demonstrate this in front of a video and let you watch it. Uh, yes, I know it's easier that way. Don't, don't get me wrong. But being a happy warrior is not necessarily about choosing the easiest way. And so um, here's our little experiment and by the way, you're you're a homeschooling parent, go for it. Do this experiment. What you do is you buy a uh, one of these old-fashioned battery-operated bells. Right? It's 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 got a uh, a metal bell with a little hammer, and the hammer is operated by electromagnets that turn on and off rapidly through an easily visible. The thing costs about 15 bucks by the way on uh, science project supply companies online, you buy a little um, bell like this, and when you connect it to the battery, you'll see the hammer beating backwards and forwards and striking the bell, and it'll sound like an old-fashioned school bell. Now, uh, you also buy a bell jar, which is really just a, uh, you know, a big jar uh, open at one end uh, with a neck at the other, and what you do is you um, put a little water in a big plate, uh, put the battery in there, run the wires through the top of the bell jar so you can operate and put a cork in the top of the bell jar. You run a, uh, a battery, you connect it up, and now the the uh, bell is inside the bell jar, closed off from us, and you attach the battery. Guess what happens? Although it will be slightly muted by the, the glass between you, uh, because the air molecules had to vibrate the glass, which then vibrates the air molecules, and um, and uh, and then um, uh, the, the the vibrating air molecules reach your, your ear. What I was just realizing a moment ago is that this is one of the ways that spy apparatus works. In other words, uh, how do they listen in to conversations going on in, in a room? Well, they beam a laser onto the glass pane of the window of the room, And then they measure the reflection of that uh, beam. And the window pane vibrates slightly as a result of the conversation going on in the room, vibrating the air molecules, which vibrate the window pane, which vibrates the laser beam, and they're actually able to listen in to what's going on inside the room because of this you know, I know what you what is Rabbi Daniel Lapin tal who cares about all this stuff? Well, you do because you are a happy warrior and you need to understand every possible aspect of how the world really works. And this is a part of it. Now, you get to the interesting part of this experiment. Now you buy yourself a little vacuum pump. And again, school project vacuum pump, 30 bucks. Um, Or you can get hand ones for even less. You run this with some rubber piping through the neck of the jar, get everything sealed off, a little bit of water in the plate underneath to airtight the whole thing. And now you have the battery connected the bells ringing you can see the hammer striking the bell you can hear the sound of the bell ringing and now you turn on the vacuum pump which is going to suck all the air out of that bell jar and as this is going on you will hear the sound of the bell getting fainter and fainter and fainter because as air is being sucked out, there are fewer air molecules, which means they are further apart from one another, which means that each one vibrates the next one a little less powerfully than it did when they were closely packed together. And eventually, the air molecules next to the glass jar vibrated, but less than before, keep pumping out the air. And um, all of a sudden, or gradually, I should say, rather than all of a sudden, you will stop hearing the bell ringing. Now, This is a very important question and it has a lot to do with the rest of our topic for today. Think about this. What is the best organ of your head to tell you if the bell is still ringing or not? Your ears or your eyes? In this case, your ears will lie to you because your ears will say, oh, the bell is no longer ringing because you can't hear it because all the air has been sucked out and so There is no longer a consistent um, blanket of air between the source of the sound, namely the bell, and your ears, and so there is no way for the sound to be conveyed from the bell through the glass jar to your ears because there's no air there, so your ears will tell you, hey, the bell stopped ringing, but if you use your eyes, you will see that the hammer of the electromagnet continues striking the bell, and yet you hear nothing. This is a very important, the way we've done it today, I'm gonna say it's a thought experiment because I didn't actually do it in front of your astonished eyes. I laid it out for you academically, intellectually using our heads to imagine the entire process and this is exactly what you would see if you did that, right? Pretty amazing, is it not? Why do I tell you that? Well, the most important thing that I've just told you is that you must, to, if I ask you, hey, has the bell stopped ringing or is it still ringing? If you use the wrong instrument, namely your ears, you'll get the wrong answer. But if you use the right instrument, namely your eyes, you might say to me, the bell is still ringing, although I have no idea why I'm not hearing it. And say, so, OK, well, now let me tell you about the way sound is transmitted. But you have to use the right instrument, and in this context, the right instrument is your eyes, not your ears. Okay, now, uh, think about that for a few moments, because we're going to uh, move along from there. Uh, But first of all, I want to tell you about a brand new resource we've just created for you. It's called The Gathering Storm, and it is an online course video. This is me teaching for several hours, teaching the meaning of the entire biblical section near the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 and onwards, um, having to do with Noah's flood. Did you know that homosexual marriage was actually going on at uh, at that time oh yeah this is nothing new this is a seductive aspect of the human experience from the beginning of human history Uh, did you know that abortion was going on yes now, again, you know, you might say, well, this is, uh, this is uh, uh, you know, Rabbi Daniel appen projecting. No, it's really not. I'm giving you insight to the Hebrew text. Well, not only that, I'm actually giving you visual aids in the form of slides and also in the form of a downloadable study guide, which actually gives you access to the Hebrew. Yes, I know you don't read Hebrew. I know you don't talk Hebrew. I get all that, but that doesn't mean you cannot still deal with it, and I'll explain to you why. I will show you how to treat the Hebrew letters as if they were mathematical symbols, and so I could talk to an Indian mathematician who knows no English, and I know no Hindi. And we communicate because he writes an equation on the board. And guess what? He's going to write x squared plus y squared equals 17. Now, if I said to him, oh, I didn't know you know English, he'll, he, he'll shrug his shoulders. He won't know what I'm talking about. But he uses x as a symbol and y as a symbol doesn't mean he's able to read those letters as if they were part of a written sentence. And so Hebrew is much more like the language of mathematics than it is like the language of English. And that's what I will show you in this brand new video series called The Gathering Storm. And you can look at it a little bit more about it if you're interested by going to my website at com and go to online courses and take a look at The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. Um, there's some there's some really fascinating stuff there. I've got to tell you, it's um, uh, we we look into who Noah's wife was. Um, we we even look into what exactly happened after the flood. Um, something mysterious happened with Ham and uh, Shem and Japheth. Um, Ham did something to Noah. Uh, <laughs> you won't believe what he actually did do and why he did that. Much excitement in the the program, The Gathering Storm, and I'd love to hear your reactions to it. It's it's really, really quite extraordinary. So back to the idea that vibration is life. Uh, Vibration is not only the secret of words and communication from my mouth to your ear, but it's also the secret of music vibration is music and so uh, a typical piano uh, has about 88 keys it should well typical pianos have exactly 88 keys but some don't uh, it's got 88 keys and the lowest the lower sound you see i'm vibrating my uh, throat, I'm vibrating my vo- vocal cords at a very low frequency here. But when I speak like this, well, they're vibrating much more quickly now. That's right. Uh, because the sound, the pitch goes up as the frequency goes up. So, at the, if you go at the left end of the piano keyboard, the low end, uh, the vibrating air molecules are vibrating at about um, 27 times a second. Right. So what this means is if you took, this is totally impossible to do, but if you took a uh, a piece of wood or for that matter, a book, you're holding a book in your hand, wave your book at me 27 times a second and I'll start hearing a low hum. You are creating a sound. So vibrations at a we our ears start hearing sound at about 27 28 times a second so vibrations of 28 times a second you hear is very low sound you know that uh, middle c key the c in the middle of the keyboard that when you started to learn to play piano your music teacher made you sort of uh, use that as the starting point of everything well middle c vibrates at 261 times a second So that's pretty quick, right? None of us could wave our hands 261 times a second. But if we could, we'd end up with the sound of middle C. And then all the way up to the highest notes at the right end of the keyboard, those are a little bit beyond 4,000 times a second. And in in all these cases, these are vibrating air molecules. Because we're talking about sound, Okay, so now I want to not talk about sound, but now I want to move to talk about something else vibrating. Uh, sound is, is straightforward. There's nothing I've said so far that you have found particularly difficult or challenging, and um, and it is it's very straightforward. But now we're going to talk about electrical vibrations, and this is a little bit more difficult to understand um and you shouldn't worry if you don't understand it fully because neither do i as a matter of fact i don't feel about bad about that either because actually nobody does nobody has you know there are people who understand it better than me there are people who understand it less than me but nobody has it down. Nobody gets Nobody has complete and full understanding of what we call electromagnetic vibration. Um, and so, for uh, uh, for um, for for perhaps the the simplest way to to view this is if one thinks about uh, an electrical current uh, changing direction in a piece of wire very rapidly. Um, the electrical current coming out of your socket in the United States of America is vibrating at 60 times a second. Now, don't get confused and say, well, why can't I hear it then? Because vibrating air molecules at 60 times a second you do hear, but this isn't air. The electrical socket doesn't emit any sound. You put your ear to it. <laughs> you, don't put your ear in it, but uh, put your ear. you'll hear nothing. Because we're not talking about sound anymore. We're not talking about vibrating air molecules. We're talking about uh, vibrating electrons, vibrating electrical currents. And so uh, when a current vibrates, as our electrical current does at 60 uh, cycles, 60 times a second. By the way, the shorthand way of calling that is Hertz. The abbreviation is HZ. It's named after a physicist by the name of Hertz. Uh, But the bottom line is that it means per second, vibration per second. And so um, if you attached uh, the outlet, if you attach your outlet to a, uh, uh, you know, to a buzzer or to um, a piece of metal that would vibrate, well, then it would produce a sound and it would vibrate at 60 hertz, meaning 60 times a second. And you'd hear a fairly low hum but that's only if you allow it to convert to sound but electrically it doesn't now what happens well here's here's the interesting thing when you increase that frequency you got a piece of wire uh you know let's say it's you know you're connecting a piece of wire to your outlet and current is vibrate electrical current vibrating in there at 60 times a second Imagine now that you are increasing it, all right? Um, And you're increasing it to, um, let's say, um, 10,000 times a second. A very strange thing begins to happen. At about 10,000 times a second, um, it starts... Jumping off the wire, and this was the earliest discovery of radio or wireless, as they used to call it, was that you could get the electrical vibration to jump off the wire and travel through space if you increase the frequency above about um, roughly ten thousand hertz, maybe fifty thousand, but that that vicinity. And so that is the frequency of radio, from about um, from about say shall we say say ten thousand hertz, all the way up to about a million hertz, right, um, and and even more. That takes you up into the region of radio waves. And now we're going to increase that vibration. And here we have to think abstractly because it's very hard to visualize anything vibrating, you know, at 10 million times a second. But that's what we're talking about. You know um, what microwaves are that cook your food? Well, those are are vibrating electromagnetic waves at um, about... uh, um, well, it's it's 10 to the 8 hertz, so that's 100 million times a second. And uh, if we go a little bit more than that, a, a little higher than that, um, interestingly enough, the microwave that and by the way some there is some microwave communication police transmissions and there are certain high frequency radio waves that are used for communication but this is all the same thing it's just electromagnetic vibration that's increasing and, and what's happening is I'm I'm going up a spectrum line I'm moving up a scale now so if we uh, hang down there at at from 10,000 to about 10 million all the way up to about 100 million. Uh, There we are, we're talking about radio waves, shorter, higher, higher frequency radio waves. We come to what are called microwaves. And uh, then a very funny thing happens. Electromagnetic vibration, when we move up to the range of about 450 trillion hertz, right a million million hertz so that's um 450 with 12 zeros after it we start getting color visible electromagnetic waves start becoming visible to our eyes i'm kidding you not this is really the truth it's a, it's amazing it's exactly the same vibration that vibrates at 60 hertz in your socket. And if you're listening in the United Kingdom and in many parts of Africa, uh, the vibration is 50. Ma- the main frequency is 50 hertz, 50 times a second. Now, you just keep increasing that. You'll come to radio waves. And if you increase it a little bit more, you'll be able to start cooking food with it because it produces heat. And then if you increase it more, whoa, it suddenly becomes visible and it's red. Increase the frequency still more, and you go from 450 million hertz, sorry, not million, trillion, 450 trillion hertz to about 700 trillion hertz, like about double it, and now you're at the color violet. And on the way, you were going through all the colors of the rainbow in what we think of as visible light. We're not done yet. Keep increasing the frequency, and it's now no longer visible. But you know what it now does? It is waves that will go through your skin. We call them x rays. And that's exactly what that machine in your dentist's office is doing. When he puts some film in your mouth that is sensitive to that high frequency. See, normal photographic film in the days of photography um, used to be um, responsive and sensitive to the range of electromagnetic vibration from 450 trillion hertz to about 800 trillion hertz all the visible colors red orange yellow green uh, blue indigo violet and uh, and then you increase it more and now it's no longer visible you oh, that's funny it just i uh, stopped seeing it yeah we went beyond violet it's now x-rays and uh, and it'll take a picture of of what's underneath your skin what's inside of you Go beyond that, and we get to gamma rays, and this is the area we call radioactivity. Uh, Some gamma rays are used for medicinal purposes. We we call it radiation, Uh, and gamma rays are also sometimes the result of uh, of um, nuclear bombs and nuclear leakage. We move into very very hard to fully understand areas up there. but um, this is something called the electromagnetic spectrum that i've just shared with you and so uh, again to just let you visualize it if you sort of imagine or you could even you know sketch it out on one of your three by five index cards you always keep inside a rubber band in your pocket um, uh, down at the, uh, the, the 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 relatively low frequency, you got radio and television. M- higher frequency, you got microwaves. Radar, by the way, is also the same frequency as microwave. Uh, radar transmission on on airplanes or ships, uh, and then we move into infrared, heat. Uh, the sun's light comes to us. There's nothing between us and the sun. It's just like vacuum there's nothing there but it still comes to us because light can shine through a vacuum don't get confused now you remember i said sound vibrating air molecule vibrating no sound can't travel through a vacuum but light can radio signals can so even though the um, uh, spacecraft with people in them travel far into space at the same time they're able to talk on radio and they can see each other but you can't hear because there's there's no air there so you move the frequency up you got uh, the red end of the spectrum all the way up through uh, red orange yellow uh, blue and all the way we get to violet and then we get ultraviolet rays and um That is, you know, that's ultraviolet. They used to use them in nightclubs and bars sometimes that have ultraviolet lights. You can't see it. It's just past the end of the visible spectrum. So it's still there. It's like a radio wave. It's the same kind of thing. But if you then get paint that is sensitive to ultraviolet, you can can get all kinds of ghostly effects using ultraviolet. Keep the frequency going up, you get X-rays. Frequency going up, you get gamma rays. And that's the electromagnetic spectrum. Now, why am I telling you all this? Okay. I'm telling you all this because if you use the wrong instrument, you cannot see or get a result. You will wrongly conclude that there is nothing there. You remember I gave you the example of looking at the bell vibrating away inside the bell jar from which you've extracted all the air with your vacuum pump, and your eye tells you that the hammer is striking the bell, so the bell is working and it's ringing like crazy. It's just that my ear cannot hear it. So if I use my ear as an instrument, I will draw the wrong conclusion. The bell has stopped working. Maybe the battery died. Stop using your ear. Use the right instrument, use your eye, you'll see the bell is still ringing and then you'll start figuring out an explanation for why its sound no longer reaches you. Okay, now, uh, think about uh, the um, electromagnetic spectrum. All right, um, so I will, uh, I bring my radio receiver into the room, right? And uh, my radio receiver, um receives electromagnetic vibrations up from about um uh shall we say you know six you look on the am dial right 650 is sometimes a station at the low end or 570 at the low end of the dial you know what are we what are we talking about well that is um 570 um kilo cycles i think i've got that right a thousand hertz and then you you use your radio dial you go all the way up to the upper end and the highest stations are usually at about 1500 or 1600 kilo you know 1600 thousand so uh you know um a thousand megahertz or, or 16 16 1600 Uh, mega thousand times thousand cycles called it killer cycles um, or kilohertz that's now i take that radio and uh, i take it into the kitchen because i want to find out if my microwave is working and after all my radio is a detector of electromagnetic vibration the trouble is it's the wrong area of the spectrum it's the wrong instrument to use how's about if I want to uh, use, um, you know, there are instruments you can put in your microwave to see if it's working. How about you want to use that to see if the x-ray machine in your dentist's office is working? Well, it's the wrong instrument, and it'll give you the answer that it's not working just the way your ears told you that the bell isn't working. Where's he going with all this? Like, what's this for? Only in a few more minutes, the disclosure will be complete. And you will see exactly why we're talking about this. Um, think about you know uh, heat, radiant heat is also part of the infra is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, and again, if you look at a temperature range, your freezer might be at uh, you know minus uh, forty degrees Fahrenheit. Right, water freezes at at, at not for I'm sorry. Water freezes at 32, and then you you want your freezer to be colder than that. So many people will have a freezer thermometer, and you just leave it. And every time you open your freezer door, you glance at the thermometer. It should be reading, you know, it should be reading 30 degrees, 25 degrees, 28 degrees, but it should be well below freezing, and that and then you know your freezer is working properly. Um, How about if you take that thermometer out? You want to know how hot it is today. And you've heard people say it's the hottest day of the summer. You take that thermometer outside and you. Nothing happens. It doesn't show anything. And you say, I don't understand. By the way, this is a mistake that children make easily. and, And you understand it. Children say, well, I don't get it. This is a thermometer. You use thermometer to measure how hot the weather is. You take it outside. It shows absolutely nothing. Or for that matter, you can take your oven thermometer. You know that thermometer you use to check to see if the, the roast is done? Take that to your freezer to see if your freezer is working. You'll conclude that your freezer is broken and you'll go into a panic about all the ice cream that's going to melt. But you've used the wrong instrument. Okay. Why do I tell you all this? I tell you all this because we are living in a time now where there is extraordinary arrogance in the world of science. I've told you many times uh, I have made my living for many years in my life as a scientist. I made my living as an electrical engineer. I helped to design communication circuits. Uh, Yes, I I get it. I'm an enthusiast of understanding science. What do you think I've been talking to you about the whole show so far? I am an enthusiast of science, but I recognize that science is useful as an instrument. And when science is used to find out if there is a spiritual reality to our existence, and it ends up saying, no, there isn't. We could not find a spiritual reality to our existence. It's just the wrong instrument being used. In the examples I've already given. That's all it is. Science is not the answer to everything. Science cannot reach outside its own area. Science can only deal with things that can be measured in a laboratory. That's what science is all about. As a matter of fact, even areas having to do with the origin of life or the origin of the planet or the origin of the universe are not, strictly speaking, areas of science, because they cannot be measured. They are not things that can be replicated in the lab. They are simply theories. Now, when people say the theory of natural evolution, Darwinian evolution, is proven and it's established, and the reality is that what they are really saying is science can come up with no other way to explain the beginnings of human life. And I agree with that. They can't because it's outside the area of science. You're using the wrong thermometer to measure that temperature. You're using the wrong instrument to measure that. And so this is why I keep speaking about you working on developing your five Fs, your, fi- your finances, your family, your fitness, your friendships, and your faith. What's faith got to do with it? How about if somebody says to me, "Hey, I'm not a religious woman. I you know I, I'm just I, I'm interested in finances, I'm interested in family, I'm interested in fitness, and yes, I'm interested in my social life friends. I'm just not that interested in faith. Uh, and my answer is, well, that's a real problem because in understanding how the world really works, uh, there are certain things that respond to science, and there are certain things that respond to a non scientific but spiritual evaluation. And there are a lot of things like that. Uh, art and music. There's, there's no instrument in a lab that can tell you whether the emotion evoked by a particular piece of music is one of sadness or one of happiness. There's no instrument that can tell you that. It doesn't exist. It cannot exist because that is a spiritual phenomenon. And so uh, you, your fullest and deepest understanding of music is something that's deprived uh, from you. You don't have it if you don't have an awareness of the spiritual reality. And so we, we happen to be living in a, a bizarre time, which really only started in the middle of the 19th century when uh, Darwin published the uh, theory of natural selection by the way the original discoverer of it was probably a man called Wallace Darwin uh, was an aggressive and ambitious man who uh, was uh, quicker to publish but uh, the reality is that uh, two separate human beings came up with that theory at the same time but what's the point of this in 1859 what did the like why was this so eagerly embraced along with the theories, very quickly, of uh, Freud and Marx as well, and I'll explain. You've got to understand that until that time, almost everybody in the Western world uh, understood that the origin of humanity are revealed in the first few chapters of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and vitally crucial aspects of Western civilization grew out of that idea in the beginning god created heaven and earth and soon after that god created human beings and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils what flows from that are so many of the aspects of western civilization for which the world votes with its feet people flock from countries that are founded on other ideas about the origin of people to those countries founded on the idea that God created human beings. So at any rate, middle of the 19th century, you got everybody saying, yeah, look, I don't know the details, but the origins of human beings, yeah, that's something to do with spiritual reality. It's something to do with God. And you can sort of read a bit more about it in the beginning of Genesis. Doesn't mean you are necessarily understand it fully at that point. Along comes Darwin and says, hey, for all you folks who are uncomfortable with God, for all of you out there who want a non-spiritual explanation for the origin, I got one for you. And so if you ask anybody to prove Darwinian evolution, they're not able to do it. What they say essentially is there's no other way it could have happened. In other words, using science as your instrument, you're right, there is no other, science cannot conceive or picture any other way of it happening because there's a whole area of existence outside the realm of scientific measurement in exactly the same way that there is ultraviolet and x-rays and gamma rays way outside the realm of, of physical visible light. And so, because I cannot see with my eyes an x-ray, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means my eyes have a limited range. Um, there are sounds all around us that are too high for us to hear. Dogs can hear. We only hear up to, if your ears are in really good shape, 20,000 cycles a second. 20,000 ki- uh, 20, hertz or 20 kilohertz, as we say, 20,000 hertz. If that piece of wood vibrates, 20,000 times you hear a high-pitched screech, very high-pitched, you know, higher than you can make with your mouth, a very high-pitched sound. If the frequency goes up, if the vibration increases, the rate of vibration increases, you stop hearing it. Your eyes will show you that the vibration is still happening, but your ears won't hear it. A dog will hear it. And so there are many things like this where if you use the wrong instrument you conclude and you say oh well it's not then didn't happen nothing there the reality however is that you're simply using the wrong instrument and so uh, i'm not you know i'm not hostile to the idea that there was an evolutionary process i am completely hostile to the idea that it was an aided materialistic evolutionary process because Darwinian evolution, and this is what I'm saying is going to upset many people because um, a good part of their worldview is rooted in Darwinian evolution. What I mean by that is that everybody's worldview has to account for what happens at the origin and what happens at the end. And so um, what happens with death, the materialistic worldview is, hey, that's the end of it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die and it's all over. That's the materialistic view. And from a materialistic or a scientific materialistic view, I get why they say that. Because there is no instrument, there is no laboratory capable of showing us what goes on beyond death. For that one has to use spiritual analyses. And we've spoken about that in previous shows. How about the origin? Well, you've got to, you see, to have a worldview, you've got to be able to explain origins. And so my worldview is rooted in Genesis and a very important part of that origin story is 10 generations after the origin we have Noah. That's a really important thing to understand what that says about human nature and to be an effective happy warrior and to have an effective family life and to have an effective friendship social life and to have an effective um, uh, fitness life treating your body the right way and to have an effective um, uh, financial life. You actually have to know something about the Noah story because it's not just a story; it's a mathematical depiction of certain principles of life, how the world really works. That you got to know about. That's why I really want you to explore the Gathering Storm. Right, this video program you'll see on my website, RabbiDanielLappin.com, and go to online courses, The Gathering Storm. You can get it in just audio form, but we've just released it in video form because we actually wanted to make it um, a little easier. We wanted to give you some additional information that we didn't give you in the audio form. And so there it is. But, uh, but you, you get the concept. Everybody who wants a worldview has to answer the question of where did we come from? It's fundamentally important. And that's why even little children, as they start growing and they become, you know, eight, nine, ten, they will ask, where did I come from? You know, the the, the question is, is bothering them existentially, even as little children, because the origin is part of a worldview. And until about 1859, when Darwin published... The origin worldview was essentially biblical in the Western world. Other cultures had different worldviews that produced less effective cultures, of course. And the uh, the 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 problem was that with the period of the Enlightenment, uh, people wanted non-religious. They wanted to be able to be God-free and still have a worldview. To have a worldview, you've got to have an origin. How do you have an origin? Well. Here's how it might have happened. Whoopee! That's the way it did happen because we have a materialistic worldview. That's, my dear friends, exactly how it worked, and that's what's going on. And so, um, I mean, it's really important to to grasp this sort of thing because this is why um, you can uh, look at a study, as I did, of um, uh, who'd, who'd have believed it, Right. People like the idea of the that in America, you know, we, we're going to build a system that lets anybody come from any background, any origin, and reach economic heights. And um, in Stanford, starting about six or seven years ago, they began studying this topic, and I was on them like white on rice. I was really eager to understand what they were saying. And what they were saying is that, uh, yes, there is a way to build a society so that even if you are born into poverty, you have an equal chance to everybody else to reach uh, economic heights. What they discovered was that it wasn't true, because up till then, for a number of years, they were saying education is the answer. And so you even had... Um, Barack Obama, while he was president, he said in his State of the Union address, "In the, I'm quoting him, in the 21st century, the best anti-poverty program is a world-class education. That is what Barack Obama said in his 2010 State of the Union address. Let me say it again. In the 21st century, the best anti-poverty program around is a world-class education. That's exactly like Usain Bolt, who won the 2012 100 meters in the London Olympics. If Usain Bolt were to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the 21st century, the best running fast program is to move your legs quicker. That's exactly what he's saying. Why is it the same? Because... Some people are uneducable. Now, this is, you know, this is sort of stuff that uh, I, I don't want to be uh, thrown off the air or anything because you're not supposed to say things like this. But yeah, there are some people that are non-educatable. What sort of people? People who grew up without a functional family and without an adult who really cared. If you were not read to as a young child... And if you were not taught to read early and you were not encouraged to read, you are going to be uneducable by the time you get to school. By the time that you are six, seven years old, you're already non-educable. Sorry to tell you this. It's painful. It really is because it means that Many, many people in in cultures, by the way, not just the United States of America, but there is a whole culture in the United Kingdom that I've studied a great deal. People who are non-educable. And they are not distinguished by color of skin. They are not distinguished by religion. They're not distinguished by anything excepting family culture. And uh, if a child is brought up by a single mom, along with siblings, half-siblings, who are also children of that single mom by different men, and that child is essentially raised on television, the kid is put in front of a TV to be, to kept, be kept out of the mother's hair, uh, that child is going to grow up totally non-educatable. That's why Barack Obama's statement in the 2010 State of the Union address, um, in the 21st century, the best anti-poverty program around is a world-class educate wrong. That's simply not true, because what you're saying is, yes, if it, for people who are educatable, but not everyone is educatable, because if by the time you are six or seven, eight, nine years old, if you have not been taught self-discipline, if you've not been taught to read, if you've not been taught not to look at moving pictures, but to read words, you end up non-educatable, And so this is very much a family culture idea. In other words, the reality, what Barack Obama should have said if he was interested in telling the truth, he should have said in his 2010 State of the Union address, he should have said in the 21st century, the best anti-poverty program around is to make sure that every child grows up in a loving, functional family with his natural mother and natural father or, or uh, adopted, I should add, as well. Hey, That's what he should have said. But um, here uh, I'm, I'm looking at, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to refer you to it because there's no reason for you to have to waste time to read it. I do it for you as a public service for happy warriors. Uh, but I've got this whole research paper from Stanford University. Uh, the statement is education turns out not to be the key to a good income. Turns out that it doesn't work, and they're struggling to find what are the factors. To give you an idea of how deep into the barrel they dig, um, they say, well, maybe it has to do if the parents worked for a unionized occupation. Maybe that's, and they studied that. The one thing they left out, I mean, this is this, this is absolutely sure, true. They studied local school quality. They studied segregation. They studied income inequality. They studied what they call social capital. You know the one thing they didn't check to see? The impact that a normal functioning family has on a child's shot at high income. And so, you know, I, I always used to say that... Uh, um, Mrs. Susan Lappin, right, is raising seven children. She's homeschooling the seven children. And a large part of that was um, encouraging them and teaching them to read to the point that all those children, by the time they were uh, 10 years old, were eager, avid readers. And uh, we once had join us for Friday night dinner, um, an investment banker, a Jamaican investment banker, a friend of mine, Uh, And he and his wife had dinner with us. And uh, and about halfway through a long Shabbat dinner, our children left the table and the, the living room was visible from the dining room. And you could see all our children were curled up on the carpet, in blankets, on the couch with books. They're all reading. And our guest's eyes filled with tears. I saw his eyes well up. And I said, What's, Is everything all right? And he looked at me and he said, Rabbi Lapin, your children are reading while my children are clicking their fingers to obscene lyrics. That's what he said. He could have said, watching television as well. But um, my point is that only a few miles away from where Mrs. Lapin is raising seven children. There's another woman also raising seven children, kind of raising. She has seven children, each one fathered by a different man no longer in her life. And these seven children sit in front of a TV. They're not properly nourished, either mentally, spiritually, or physically. And so here you've got seven children, and the demographers would say, hey, why is it that The children of Mrs. So-and-so are not moving upwards the economic ladder, but children of Mrs. Lappin are moving up the economic ladder. Is it skin color? No, because in England, we can find exactly the same situation with people who have the same skin color as Mrs. Lappin's children. So it's clearly not skin color. And is it unionized employment? Well, it turns out not to be that. So what is it? Why is it? Well, it's family culture. That's why. It's how children are raised. And that is a spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter. It's spiritual. And so since the United States government has long ago adopted the religion of secular materialistic fundamentalism, they look at this problem and they are mystified because they cannot understand it. You know, um, a few days before I taped this show, early, or actually the middle of August uh, 2022, uh, the Islamic writer Salomon Rushdie was stabbed at a very genteel, quiet, literary gathering, upstate New York. And um, he uh, uh, he um, he was stabbed by a Muslim gentleman by the name of Hadam Atir, Hadi, Hadi Matir, and the New York Times uh, published, I think it was uh, yesterday, published an article about the stabbing, and at the time I'm, I'm speaking to Salman Rushdie, is still alive, he, he was in trauma uh, treatment, he was uh, in hospital, but the New York Times said uh, the motive for the attack is unknown. Right. If your world is secular materialistic fundamentalism, then you simply do not know why one Muslim would stab another Muslim. You wouldn't understand it. You would regard their religion as completely irrelevant because religion is spiritual and we only look at things that we can measure scientifically. And so one of the biggest mistakes that secular fundamentalist materialists in government, whether it's the United Kingdom or Sweden or France or the United States, the biggest mistake they make is discounting the importance of religion because the spiritual world does not exist because if you use the instrument of scientific materialism, then you cannot see spiritual reality anymore than I can see with my eyes x-rays, or my ears can hear a bell ringing in a vacuum. Wrong instrument. And so, secular materialistic fundamentalists, people who are of that belief system, and yes, I do call it a belief system, well, it's understandable. To them, religion is immaterial. And so, since I know that religion is very important because I do recognize the spiritual reality and I understand it. I do understand that there are doctrinal debates in uh, Islam, just as there are doctrinal debates in Christianity, and there are doctrinal debates in Judaism. However, in Islam, people kill over those doctrinal debates. That's one of the differences between Islam and the Judeo-Christian faiths. And so um, it's happened many times before. I understand exactly why Hadi, Matar, kill uh, try to kill Solomon Rushdie because the uh, Iranian mullahs issued a fatwa for exactly the same reason that people were killed because of the cartoons that a Danish newspaper published about the prophet Muhammad. Uh, yes, in Islam, people kill over doctrinal arguments. I get that. And anybody who whose world is perceived through the instrument exclusively of scientific materialistic fundamentalism, well, they can't get that. So, I'm, I fully understand why the New York Times said uh, that no motive is known for the attack. Yeah, in their world, there was no motive. In, in the world of reality that I inhabit and all happy warriors inhabit, we understand that faith is one of the five Fs. And so we get it. Of course, we understand that he did it. We understand the motive. It's not one we agree with. It's not one I I, mean, I, I I. talk happily to many Jews with whom I have doctrinal debates. I spent a very enjoyable lunchtime on Shabbat recently with somebody with whom I have doctrinal debates. I, no problem. But in Islam, it doesn't necessarily work that way. It's a difference. But this is all part of the world of faith. If you don't get the faith dimension, my goodness, you are seriously lost, and that, my dear friends, is why it is that I urge you to study the gathering storm, the entire saga of Noah, not because this is a, an anachronistic account of a long-forgotten mythological event. No, it's because the story is an almost mathematical depiction of how the world really. Works and as such, it belongs in the understanding arsenal of any happy warrior. So uh, check in at rabbi dot com, go to online courses and look for the Gathering Storm, and you will enjoy it. And we will have more in common as we move forward in understanding the world of the happy warrior. Uh, also, I would say that if you haven't yet downloaded a free copy of the ebook called the the holistic you in other words how to absorb uh, effective growth in all your 5f's so do it now uh, it's totally free you can download it again at the website rabbi daniel go to the holistic you it's an ebook and you can get it for free it it begins the explanation and launches you on this exciting adventure of elevating your life, making you the best possible you can be by growing your five F's and enabling you to go, as I say, onwards and upwards. So until next week, when we will be together on the next Rabbi Daniel Lappin show, I wish each and every one of you happy warriors a wonderful week of exciting onwards and upwards progress in your families and your finances, in your friendships and your fitness, and yes, in your faith as well. I'm Rabbi Daniel lappen God bless.